morning. Welcome to Watershed. Um, I'm going to invite you all to stand up and greet your neighbor um, and maybe discuss, even though we haven't had the typical winter weather this week, um, what are your favorite outdoor winter activities? Napping. <laughs> Outdoors. All right, we invite you to continue worshiping with us this morning.
valleys low and mountains high, we lift up our praises, God. Regardless of circumstances, we look to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, died, and rose again. Give us new life in you. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and check out this next video from the story. During the time that Israel was divided, God told a prophet named Elijah that there would be a drought in the land. He directed Elijah to leave the area and live by himself for three years near a ravine where he would have all the water he needed. One day, God told Elijah to go and confront King Ahab and his wife Jezebel about leading the Israelites to worship a false god named Baal. Elijah asked Ahab and all the people of Israel to meet him on the top of a mountain. Ahab brought 450 prophets of Baal with him. Elijah decided to conduct a challenge to prove that he followed the true God. Two bulls were brought to be sacrificed. The prophets of Baal laid down pieces of wood and put the bull on it, but did not set fire to it. Call on the name of your God, Elijah challenged, and I will call on mine. Whichever answers by fire, he is God. From early morning until noon, the prophets asked their God Baal to send fire, but nothing happened. Elijah taunted them, shout louder, perhaps your God is in deep thought or sleeping. So they shouted louder and cut themselves with their swords and spears. But still, nothing happened. He quickly built an altar using 12 stones, one to represent each tribe of Israel. Finally, he asked those around him to pour water all over the bowl and the wood. There was so much water flowing that it filled the trench around the altar. Then, Elijah called out, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and fire fell from the sky and burned up the bull, the wood, and even the stones and soil, vaporizing all the water around it. The prophets of Baal were then arrested and killed in the valley below the mountain. When King Ahab returned home and told his wife Jezebel what happened, she was furious and sent word to Elijah that she was going to have him killed. So Elijah fled to the wilderness there he met an angel sent by God to take care of him, who gave him food and water. Eventually, God told Elijah that Elisha would take his place as a prophet in Israel. Not long after, Elijah and Elisha were walking along the road and a chariot and horses made of fire appeared out of nowhere and took Elijah up into the sky. So Elisha continued to do God's work performing miracles, and at one point even raising a young boy from the dead. Elijah stretched out his body over the boy and caused him to sneeze seven times, bringing him back to life. For many years after, God continued to use Elisha and a number of other prophets to perform miracles and warn the Israelites of all that would happen to them if they did not follow God. Despite the prophet's warnings, the next several kings led Israel further and further from God. It was only a matter of time before things had to change.
I'm going to invite the kids to come forward to be dismissed for Sunday school. And just to note to parents, the second and third graders will be meeting down the hall and can get picked up in the kindergarten first grade classroom today. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to give you praise and thanks for these children this morning. Um, may we just open up the hearts and minds of all here today. May we set aside any distractions and just be open to what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Becky. And good morning again to y'all. Good to see you this morning. Um, for those who you who don't know me, Pastor Aaron, I'm the campus pastor here at Watershed. Uh, before we dive this morning into the prophets, that's where we're going today, as you can see by uh, the brief story of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, I got a couple announcements. Uh, today, after worship, you're invited to join us. Uh, each, each month, we try to do on the third Sunday of the month, kind of right when we do communion, uh, share a time of community together, a meal with with one another upstairs. Uh, if we run out of space upstairs, we come downstairs. Uh, but we have a potluck. And if you didn't bring something, don't worry. You can still come and enjoy a meal. So uh, one of the things that we value here is building community. Uh, Y'all have friends, family, community um, all throughout the Holland, West Michigan, and beyond area. Um, but one of the gifts of the church is to be a people uh, that God takes from a lot of different places and spaces and just gives us the opportunity to rub elbows with each other um, so that throughout life we know that as we're diving into friendships and families and relationships elsewhere, we know that this can also be a community of people that we can rely on. So that's one of the reasons why we try to have that meal together once a month uh, so if you're able to make it, great. If not, uh, be blessed in what you're doing. Uh, the next thing that I want to bring to our attention is a unique opportunity. One of our um, just heart-alike families, uh, their daughter, Liz, is a worship leader. And uh, she's in town for about a week and a half and was like, hey, she writes some music, things like that. Um, so very, just gifted. So she's going to be here Wednesday. We have a community night meal. Uh, again, kind of building community opportunities for youth to be together, children to be together. But uh, after that meal at 6 o'clock, she's going to be sharing some of that music. Um, uh, so we meet over in the, the great room in the red, what we call the red brick building. So across the parking lot. Uh, join us for that. And then finally, uh, one more announcement, one more opportunity we have coming this summer. Um, a couple a couple weeks ago, um, well, a few weeks already, Jake and Rachel Campan were here. Uh, they are leading the Abundant Life Christian School in Honduras, a long partnership we have um, down in Honduras. You can see a picture of what a classroom looks like that Hardawike has been a part of making happen, but we're doing another uh, mission trip down there. And so if you're interested, you can contact Norlin. Norlin Wave your hand. He loves being the center of attention. No. <laughs> um, it, or D, who is our missions uh, coordinator and prayer, um, prayer, compassionate care coordinator as well. 
Uh, you can contact their information's right here on the screen. You can also get that um, online at heartawake.com. So if you're interested in joining us for that, uh, we would certainly invite you to reach out and get some more info. So if you will, uh, before we dive into the message, let's go to our God in prayer one more time. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who cares about us and loves us, who uh, Lord is here for us, who invites us into relationship. As we're going to hear today, God, you don't ever give up pursuing us, reaching out to us. And we want to thank you. Thank you that you've prompted us this morning um, by your spirit, by nudging earlier on in the week, or maybe just a, a, a movement today when we woke up of, hey, um, I'm going to go worship. I'm going to take a moment of my life to step out of life. Lord, focus on you. There's a, there's a lot of reasons, honestly, Lord, why we're, why, uh, we're here today. I, I can't know every one of them, but Lord, we're here. And so I ask God, um, Lord, there's a lot going on in people's lives in this room, on this campus, in our community. Or there's been loss of life, family members. There's, Lord, illness that continues to weigh upon us. Lord, as we talked about last week, there's tens- tensions and divisions that exist within friendships, within our community, between peoples. Lord, Lord, these are just scratching the surface of some of the things that stress us out. Lord, house payments, inflation, or the rising cost of groceries. I mean, Lord, there is a lot that can easily weigh us down. Lord, what we ask this morning is that you would breathe your life into us. As we've lifted you up in praise, as we've sung our prayers to you, as we pray now, Lord, hear the the cries of our heart. Lighten our load a little bit today. Breathe your peace into us. Father, as we hear your word, Lord, we know that you're not afraid to challenge our thinking, convict us. But Lord, remind us that you do that only because you want to breathe your life into us. So Holy Spirit, take this special thing, this this holy word, this Bible that you've gifted to us. Use it. Father God, I ask that you use the words that you've given to me to speak to us, myself included. Speak your life, your truth, into our lives. God, make us better for being here today. And equip us to step back into the world that we've taken a moment to step out of. And to share your life and the lives of others. So Holy Spirit, speak now. For we, your children, are here listening. In the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Last week, we resumed our journey through the Bible, the story. Uh, again, we're, we're kind of going through the narrative story, the timeline of Scripture. And in the Bible itself is written, we're going to come up to the prophets today, where uh, it's not necessarily in a timeline chronological order. 
the prophets, there are 16 books in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's made up of 39 books, okay? 39 unique writings that cover a couple thousand years. But uh, the prophets constitute 16 of those books, and they come at the end of the Old Testament, when really all 16 of those books end up in the times of the Kings and Chronicles. So, uh, man, 39 books, I could recite all of them by name, I won't do that. But uh, uh, when we get to 1 Kings... First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, the 16 books of the prophets end up mainly in the timeline that's taking place. So this morning we got to watch a video of Elijah and Elisha. This happens in First Kings 18. I'm going to talk about the prophet Hosea. And, uh, and, and he takes place a little bit later in Israel's life. But, but we're talking about these messengers, these prophets to God's people. The prophets were, were ones who would speak on behalf of God. The prophets were, were people who would say, all right, folks, let's get real about your reality, right? What's going on in your life? But also, I want you to understand what God's kingdom looks like. And oftentimes there was a gap in between those. Got me thinking about uh, how many of you remember, uh, are we working? Click, click. Um, Trisha, there we go. How many of you remember this guy? He actually has a name. Paul Marcarelli. <laughs> but the Verizon guy, right? The can you hear me now guy? And then I realized that the last four years didn't just fly by. The last 13 years just flew by. Like the last time he showed up was 2011. Yeah, so y'all got older. <laughs> and then he went over to Sprint. We won't talk about that. <laughs> but it was interesting to read, uh, a little quick side note, interesting to read about his life and to be identified as the can you hear me now guy. <laughs> but when I thought about the prophets um, uh, in, in, in Paul Marcarelli, <laughs> Can you hear me now? That's how I kind of, I see the prophets in the scripture. They existed to help the people understand, just like Verizon was trying to do in the, the whole crazy race of cell phone companies. Yes, it still exists. There's just a little fewer today. But to, but to get us to go, can we hear from, from sender to receiver, can you get clear communication? The prophet's main concern is, as speakers on behalf of God, were, could the people of God hear and understand what God was trying to say? Why was this so important? As we talked about last week, the kingdom was divided. Trisha, if you can move along. It looks like I'm going to need your help scrolling through today. Um, if you can click one more time, uh, we'll see the division. Last week, we saw that the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of Israel, the 12 tribes were divided. They were divided because Solomon had sinned, and then his son Rehoboam and Jeroboam only proved that decision to be right. We have the northern kingdom with ten tribes, Manasseh counts as two, and then the southern kingdom they called Judah, and Judah just kind of wrapped up Simeon and Benjamin as one. But this kingdom was divided, and, and we know it happens because of sin, but guess what? Sin just continued to run rampant through the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. 
Just for some history, uh, we're going to do a little history lesson here for a moment, so bear with me. In Israel's 204 years of existence, the northern kingdom, they were known as Israel, there were 19 leaders or kings. So 18 kings, one captain who was a leader, Jehu. Get this, the captain was kind of okay, right? Kind of okay, 204 years. The rest of the 18 kings, the scriptures tell us, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 204 years, not one good quality leader who followed the Lord. But God sent nine prophets then to the people because the leader wouldn't lead people into relationship with God, wouldn't help them understand. So he had to send nine different prophets. Prophets, Elijah, Elisha, we're going to hear Amos, Hosea today. Right? There are four of those nine who God was trying to get their attention and say, hey, listen, where you're living and what you're doing, and here's what my kingdom looks like, there's a gap. I want you to turn from what you're doing, step back into life. God continues to pursue us. If I can communicate a message to, to us today, is God, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, will continue to pursue us, tries to bring us back into a life he created us for. He doesn't want to leave us in our divisions. He doesn't want to leave us in our misery. So he sends prophets. Well, that's the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom ends up having 20 kings in their 339 years. So the northern kingdoms goes 204. They don't have really any good leaders. That's part of why God will carry them away to Assyria. Judah, a little bit better. Five out of their 20. So 25%, not bad. That's not real great. Out of those five they were, that were quality, there were 15 other leaders who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What we'll hear today that continued to lead the people into idolatry, the worship of other gods, and also to live in ways of injustice, to not love their neighbor as themselves. And God sends, again, to the people 12 prophets to get their attention, God's messengers. God pursues his people, no matter where they've been, no matter what they're in, to try to restore them. The challenge is, will God's people listen? One of those messengers was Hosea. Hosea is an interesting book of the Bible, and it starts out kind of crazy. God asks him, uh, his, and this happens with prophets, they're, not just their message is a little challenging, sometimes their life represents and looks a little different. Hosea was, was told by God to go marry a promiscuous woman. Someone who would be unfaithful, and then his marriage and his life, his children would be a living representative, of, a representation of, of the people of God being unfaithful to God. But Hosea would be called to continue to pursue his wife no matter what she's done, to keep fathering his children no matter how broken his family was. Why? Because God would continue to pursue an unfaithful people. Him and we come to Hebrews or Hosea 11. I know I'm going to do that again, so please bear with me. (laughs) But Hosea 11, there's a beautiful passage I think that wraps up a lot of what we can see in the prophets today. So let's hear God's word together. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. 
But the more they were called, the more they went away from them. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim. Ephraim was the name of Israel. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? See, that was going to be Israel's punishment. The nation of Assyria, the world power, was going to take them away as a discipline because they refused to repent. They refused to change. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. Then hear this. How can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. And all my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man. He's saying there, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, my, my desire is not to punish them. That's not the end in itself. I'm trying to bring them back. I'm trying to restore them. I'm disciplining them, yes, but I'm not going to leave that on them forever. I'm God. I'm not man. I'm the holy, among, among, holy one among you. I will not come again against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. He says, once again, I'm going to take those who are scattered and I'm going to bring them home, even though I discipline them for their sin. 200 Israel in particular, 204 years of rebellion. Even though I discipline them for that, I will again bring them back. With prophets, Hosea, what's the first thing that he does today? I, I, I want to put it this way, that the prophets reveal the heart of God. Right, the very beginning, what do we hear him use? It, it, it's, it's an illusion, it's a picture of a parent, right? When, I, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Right? This isn't some standoffish God who cares nothing about his creation. He goes, no, you're like my child. What will we do for our children, right? He says, I taught Ephraim to, Ephraim to walk, taking them by the hand. You see that image, right? How many of you have ever walked with a a little infant holding onto their tiny little arms, right? Like for me, I'm like, grab onto my little finger. You know? <laughs> Almost want to give them my pinkies. Last weekend, I got to see Daxton, my, my great nephew. Yep, I've now gotten older. I have a great nephew. And I remember when his dad was just about in his shoes. <laughs> but just holding him, you know, I see this picture of God. The prophets are, are trying to help us see that the God we serve isn't just some sovereign, far-off God ruling the world, but this is a God who actually cares about our lives and who we are. This is the God we serve is like one who brings us to the cheek, who 
feeds us and heals us. Helps us get a picture. For me, when I finally began to understand, because the prophets, those 16 books can get a little tricky to read as we read the Bible because it's filled with poetry. It's filled oftentimes with a lot of symbolism. But when I finally understood that the 16 books of the prophets don't just tell us the deeds of God, it actually tells us what the heart of God is really like, I can't help now but see things like Hosea 11, that we have a God who intimately and deeply desires and cares about who we are. We're reminded of this in Exodus 34, where God shows up to Moses and he reveals who he is, what his heart looks like, the quality, the character of his DNA. As God passed in front of Moses, proclaimed this, the Lord, the Lord, the what? Compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and then going on to forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yes, we hear this, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children, the children for their sins, the parents of their third and fourth generation. We see that actually when Israel is carried off into Assyria. But let me ask you this again. How many years, our little history lesson, how many years did it take for God to punish the people, to discipline his people by carrying them off into Assyria? 204. How many prophets, how many messengers did he send to Israel? Nine to try to get their attention. When every leader who led the people led the people away. Is God compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, forgiving? How about the people of Judah? 335, 340 years. Only five good kings gets at least 12 prophets to try to get their attention before they go into Babylonian exile. Is God not slow to anger, patient with us? So can we believe that he's compassionate and caring, that he wants to be in relationship with us. The prophets reveal the heart of God. In the midst of their sin, right? In the midst of their, their idolatry, the worship of other gods, their focus on something other than God, in the midst of their injustice and, and trampling on people. We'll hear some of that in, from Isaiah in just a moment. But in the midst of not loving God and not loving their neighbor as themselves, did God say, forget you, I'm done with you? No, because a a dad can't do that to his kid. Mom can't do that to their child. Aunt and uncle can't do that to their niece, their nephew. A youth leader can't give up that youth group student. A teacher sees every child in their class. Right, the retired neighbor looks at the next door neighbors. So how can I be there for you? Right, God can't give up on us. But despite his sending messengers, right, we saw this in Elijah, and we pick it up actually in 1 Kings 18. The people don't listen. We hear this in, in 1, 1 Kings 18, 17 to 18. 
when he, Ahab, saw Elijah, here's what he says, is that you, you troubler of Israel. See, oftentimes when God's messenger comes, uh, it may feel like God's trying to trouble us. (laughs) You troubler of Israel. Elijah's response is great. I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your families have. (laughs) Your father's family has. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. If we remember back to division last week, I used this quote from Tim Keller. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Oh, you troubler of Israel. I don't like it sometimes when God gets my attention, when he says, here's your reality, here's the reality of my kingdom, and there's a little gap there. Do we not think there's going to be a little discomfort (laughs) It may seem like when we read the scriptures, it may be a little troubling because it doesn't agree 100% with me. (gasps) That the God of the world who has no sin within him, Jesus who was perfect, and we who have brokenness in us, like God saying, hey, I want to lead you into life because you make choices and decisions to lead yourself away, isn't going to disturb us. See, the prophets reveal, as much as they reveal the heart of God, they reveal the hearts of people. They reveal our hearts. They reveal where where we've been missing things, where we've been looking somewhere else. I mean, in Hosea 11, again, we hear this, they went away from me. They sacrificed to other idols. We We heard this last week with Jeroboam. He says, these were the gods that brought you out of Egypt. I mean, come on. They burned incense to images. They failed to just realize, here I am, I'm I'm calling out. They failed to realize me. They refused to change their ways. How many of us ever get a little stubborn and refuse to change our ways? Anybody? There's false prophets. Folks, all around us we have false prophets. People say, "I, I know the way. Follow me. But oftentimes, if the prophet is in it for themselves, it's one of your early indicating cues. They ain't a prophet. If they're just feeding you the party line, they ain't a prophet. God says they were determined to turn from me. I mentioned it wasn't just idolatry, though. It was injustice. Amos, that was kind of his role. As Hosea spoke into the idolatry of Israel, Amos spoke into the injustice. At the beginning of Amos, he begins to say, here's some of the the brokenness that's going on in the worlds around us and the communities around us. And sometimes that's how God gets our attention, right? He he gets us, you you get that little buildup of like, yeah, see, I told you, that's what's going on over there. That's what's going on over there. But then you watch out, right? Because you know something may be coming. And here in Amos, we after he, Talks about the other nations, now it's time for them. This is what the Lord says. Amos says, for the three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. I'm not going to change my mind. They sell the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. And they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son, use the same girl... And so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. They take holy things and desecrate them. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fine. 
in just a few verses, injustice. We trample on others. We use others. We demean others. We put others down. What do we celebrate tomorrow? Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? The reverend doctor, let me remind you, the reverend doctor, one who was a pastor, one who was called, and didn't step into the fight to take down racism, to fight against injustice because he had a bone to pick. Now, if you read his letters from a Birmingham jail, you'll realize that he was called. And by the way, how did his life end? He was what? Murdered. See, the, the way of a prophet oftentimes doesn't end so good. So I would say, be wary of going, oh, I'm just going to go be a prophet. Most of the prophets felt alone, felt isolated, or a person without a home. Because oftentimes you needed to speak a truth that nobody wanted to hear. Right? We were reminded of this as the Reverend Doctor Almost 60 years ago, it'll be in August, where we hear that I have a dream speech. I just want to, as we think about injustice, be reminded of what he was inviting us into, because it continues to be part of our lives today. He says, in a sense, we've come to this nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And it's obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, American, America has given the Negro people a bad check. A check which has come back marked insufficient funds. The prophet speaks into the gap. Here's reality. Here's God's kingdom. Something's missing. Amos trample on the poor. Right? Injustice looks, takes on many forms because it simply is rooted in the lack of loving our neighbor as ourselves. What was Jesus' answer, if you know this, if you've been in the scriptures, when, when the religious leader asks Jesus, the God of the world, who made sure that we were created in his image, in, in the beauty of, of his life, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, right? So don't commit idolatry. Don't serve something else. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And we listen back in Hosea. As the prophets reveal the hearts of the people, God goes, I can't stand for that kind of idolatry and injustice. I can't stand for that sin and brokenness that continues to distort my world. And I won't. Hosea reminds us, we carried off. You will be disciplined. While God is patient, he still disciplines. He refuses 
to let lifelessness continue to be the story of our lives. He says, if my leaders won't stand up, I will send somebody who will. The prophets reveal oftentimes the things we don't want them to reveal. Why? Because Satan wants lifelessness to be our story, wants sin and brokenness to remain. But God won't let it happen. As we think about the prophets revealing the hearts, and think about Hosea today, the beauty of Hosea 11 is it reminds us that the prophets also reveal the hope of God. That God doesn't leave us in a position or a place to go, okay, good, now I'm going to just discipline you. I'm now, I'm now just going to punish you. That's the end in itself. No, God's story for us is always to restore. One of the reasons why we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King, the Reverend Doctor, is because he didn't sit there and promote further division. Listen to what else he says in his speech. But there's something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. That's a different vision, isn't it? Two wrongs don't make a right goes on to say this, let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggles on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We're still called to be a person of character. As, as he was a pastor, he still understood. We are still called to be people who represent Jesus. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And then where do we, the words I think that many of us know and can, re, and, and can remember, just want to re, remind us of again, he, he then what? Paints a picture of hope. Just as God says in Hosea, I'm going I'm to actually bring my people back. I'm going to settle them in their homes again. right? That's a hopeful picture that this time won't last forever. Here was his hopeful vision. His hopeful vision coordinates with revelation. This is why we could actually say he might have just been a modern prophet because he painted a picture of what could be that motivates us and can move us. He says, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out of the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We believe that from the beginning of the scriptures to the end. Every person is endowed with the image of God, even though we sin. We've been saved because you and I Every person has been created in God's image. I have a dream that one day, listen to this, on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of what? Brotherhood. Not further division. 
I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the, the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. And then maybe you and I could even quote this next line. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be judged not by the color of the skin, their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Hosea had a dream. God's punishment wouldn't last forever. Because God's dream, the Reverend Doctor's dream, is one that says that we come back where divisions fall, walls are broken down. It says where sin no longer divides us from God, where sin no longer divides us from one another, where our selfishness and our self-centeredness is actually laid to waste. Part of that dream found its place in our world when Jesus arrived in Luke. Jesus picks up the prophet Isaiah, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he says these words, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To recover the, for the recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Jesus would roll up the scroll and say, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here I am. The true and perfect prophet has come. But you see, as the prophets reveal the heart of God, Jesus, who is that true and perfect prophet, more fully reveals and shows us God's heart. He would take the divisions of our world, our idolatry, and our injustice to a cross. He would sacrifice himself so that we would restore to God, so that we could share tables again with each other. So that we might be judged the content of our character by the color of our skin. God's table isn't bound by that. God's table isn't bound by our economic differences. What street we live on, how big our house is. Cars we have, the little, the much that is in our paycheck. God's table doesn't care about that. God's table simply cares about have you been covered by the blood of the Lamb? Do you believe in the true and perfect prophet, the one Jesus, who came to heal the divide, to bring freedom? See, that's what we remember today as we share in communion, that our story is wrapped up in him, that God sought, pursued us, even though we were far away, to restore us. I don't know where you're at in that journey of God's pursuit, but I will say this, that God welcomes you at his table. Why? Because it's not about your performance, it's about his grace. It's his, not you. So as you come today, recognize this, all of us come broken. All of us come with sin. 
But may at this place we find an opportunity to say, Lord, heal my heart. Forgive me. And in that, know that God forgives. We remember. We also know, again, as we've, we've heard, that we are joined. This is a place of communion. That you and God are good because of Jesus. He calls you child because of his one true perfect child. Not because you earned it. Not because you or I were perfect. No, it's because he's a father who continues to love. And then remember, this is a table of hope. That as much as we think about the bread, we when we dip the bread, we pour it into the, we dip it into these cups, and these cups rep- represent Jesus' blood. Right? We, don't, we don't have hope in, in just a, a practice. We have hope in the reality that God is making things new. He's making you new, He's making me new, He's making us new. That's our hope. And one day He's going to complete it. So as we prepare to take communion today, if you believe in Jesus, welcome at this table. I'm going to just say it, I'm going to say it that way. (laughs) You believe it, Jesus, so it's a journey. Come, receive. Receive that grace. It's on him, not on you. In the midst of this, uh, just to help us understand again how we do take communion, we'll have servers over by these two tables. Uh, we grab a piece. There is a lot of bread here. <laughs> Kendra was responsible. She said it was okay that I say this. I mean, there is a hunk of bread, so take a hunk of bread and dip it in. <laughs> I know sometimes I just need me a whole lot of Jesus. <laughs> But you don't have to go a little bitty bit. If you, if you feel more comfortable, um, there are cups that have a little wafer in them. Peel away the top piece. And there is a cup with juice underneath that. Um, certainly do that. But we come down the aisle here and then kind of wrap around, do a U-shape. Um, there will be some folks who come up to the upstairs as well. Um, but I want you to know, again, we come to his table by his invitation. By his grace. So I'm going to pray. As I pray, I'd like to invite uh, the band's going to come up. And those serving, if you'll come forward too, um, just to ready our hearts uh, to receive this sacrament of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you that you pursue us. Lord, that uh, you are absolutely patient slow to anger. But Lord, when you do have to discipline us, that that's not an end in itself. It's meant to restore us. Lord, again, all of us come to this table with baggage. Stuff we've done, stuff we're doing, and even the knowledge that we will, Lord, sin against you. The amazing thing in that, Father, is that you, because of Jesus, still say, come, receive. Father, can't explain everything 
happens in this. That's why we, we taste and see. Or may we taste and see your goodness today through this communion celebration. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup that they had shared together. He said, this cup, it's a new promise in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen? Amen. Come. Shall pierce the night.
Our stories are anchored in the truth of God's faithfulness to us. The prophets reveal God's heart, sometimes reveal to us our hearts, what's going on in us. But they also offer us and remind us of hope. And for people of Jesus, our hope is him. So how will you continue to stay? Let God's word remain alive. How will you continue to pursue him? Right? The best thing we have is his scriptures. So to stay anchored in Jesus, to stay anchored in his truth, let that continue to change our lives. So you go from this place as you stand in and walk in the faithfulness of God, receive this blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his smile. May you feel the smile of our God and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, amen. If you don't mind stacking a couple chairs, we'd appreciate it. If you want to join us for lunch, feel free. Otherwise, feel free to hang out and chat.